I'm Tina Taylor, and welcome to my show, Mental Money Moments, where I get to have candid conversations with many of my friends who are global leaders about their relationship with money. I hope you enjoy this, and thanks for tuning in. Hello, welcome to Mental Money Moments. And our guest today is a dear friend, global trendsetter, someone who is looking at opening conversations about your heart, your mind, your journey, where you've lived. And that's Ed Dudley. So Ed, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me and good morning. Absolutely. So let's get started. Tell us a little bit about your childhood that led you to some of your decisions and where you are today. So I'll, I'll simply start with that. My life is full of God's grace and mercy, and I'm unapologetic about my faith. So I'll start there. So my journey, in, and it's interesting, I, I never started talking about my childhood until I got, I want to say in my 40s. So my birth mother passed probably about a week after I was born. I was raised by my grandparents until I was about nine when my grandmother passed. That was like devastating to me because she was my world. She was everything. She was my mom for the first nine years of my life. So when she passed, it, 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 it hurt me deeply. And I was this shy kid. And I was wondering, like, what's going to happen to me? Mm-hmm. Where am I going to go? And thank God that my biological mother's uh, sister took me in. I've been calling them mom and dad since I was about 10 years old. But those early lessons really shaped me early on. I was a shy kid growing up in Springfield, Massachusetts. I was the introvert, never talked about my biological mother or some of the things that I went through, but they helped shape me as I got older and to the man that I am, to the father that I am, to the business person that I am, and to this chapter of my life, the servant that I am, because I'm always trying to serve. And my passion is young kids. Perfect. You know, I have a lot of people, even even myself, when we start to think about those people that shaped our lives, it's that older generation. Mm. They stepped in because they helped our parents as well. What was some of the... I would say pearls of wisdom that you got from your grandmother. <laughs> uh, besides, besides the besides the corporal punishment, um, <laughs> which you could do, which you could do back then, you can't do this these days. No, but she she was the type of person that never had a foul word to say about anybody. Mm-hmm. It was no matter what they did, she always would grace them and say something sweet about them. So she never looked at the person with, that they are, but the person that they could be. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely loved it because she was never judging a person by their actions. And she would always say, you know, I wonder what they went through. So one of the things that I do when I meet someone that might be a little challenging and difficult, mm-hmm. I wonder what is, it, what is it that has made him like this? Yeah. You know, there's a thing called adverse childhood experiences where a lot of people have gone through things in childhood that shape them as an adult. And some of my adverse, which caused them to be sometimes angry adults and things like that. And I'm always trying to dig at the root, like, why are you like this? You know, mm. Things like that. So, so my grandma was absolutely amazing. Um, she was the rock of our family. Uh, not a day goes by where I don't, you know, remember her and a lot of the family remembers her as well. Yeah. You know, whenever we talk about just the mindset 
You know, I always think about um, just my parents and, and my grandparents. They always allowed space for grace. Mm. Right. Yeah. And, and I think it's because of some of the things that they had gone through. So their mindset was, I'm not going to judge you on your worst day based on my best day. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to allow you that space so that you can grow. Yeah. Right. And that That's shapes that. Beautiful. And I can tell you, when you start having things like that be important to you and those things that are said, it starts to shape and shift your DNA and it's going mm. to evolve over time. So you start to have, as I would say, you start to act out in different ways, depending on what's mm -hmm. poured into you. And exactly. that is in the area of finances and money. You can see a yep. whole lot of pain from a lot of people, <laughs> right? You can see debt insecurities. You can mm -hmm. see just, just a lot of um, behavior. So, so Ed, walk us through that journey. Um, so it is very difficult for any child to have loss um, mm. of a parent and to have a loss of a parent early on. How did that shift or shape your mindset around finance, oh. life, who you marry, you know, all of that career? Yeah, you know, so, you know, you know, dealing with that early on in my life, I was, like I said, very shy and secured. Um, and I love my parents. Uh, they were just working class individuals. I learned a valuable lesson. And I told my parents I've learned two things from them. And as I became an adult, I shared it with them. I said, Dad, I learned worth ethic from you because I watched this man get up every day, go to work and never really take a day off. Like every day sick. I don't care what it was. He's going to work. Yeah. And I learned worth ethic. My mother, I learned never be satisfied with where you are. Always be pushing for more. I'll never forget one day my dad came home, sat down in the chair, his recliner like they had back in the days, and he passed out. He was sleeping. And my mom said, look at you. He said, your dad works extremely hard. She said, this individual sitting in the office make twice as much as he makes, but doesn't work twice as hard as he does. Mm -hmm. She said, now you choose which one you want. And I was like, and I was probably about 16. I was like, whoa. That was uh, okay. So she taught me never be satisfied, always be pushing for more and greater as far as your professional career. And that's some of the lessons that I've learned. And it's, it's been interesting along, along the way. Um, we never really talked about money growing up. You know, you gave your allowance, but you never talked about money. I, I was the first one that would get home from school and I would always grab the mail at the mailbox. So I saw oh, the bills. I'm sorry, Ed. I hate to cut you. Did you say you got an allowance? Oh, yeah. I didn't say it was a lot. Well ahead of the curve. Then. <laughs> I didn't say it was a lot. You know, I had to, I had to do those Our chores. Our allowance like was, you get to stay in the house. <laughs> now, look, I didn't say my allowance was consistent either. I just said there was times I got an allowance. You know, I, you know, me and my, me and my brother, we wanted to go on strike a few times, but we know what would happen if we went on strike. <laughs> but, you know, so, we, you know, so we, but we never talked about money. I would see the bills come and they just paid and never talked about it. Mm -hmm. And that shaped, that shaped me because for the longest, I never talked to my children about money. Even though I was in the financial services career, I never talked to them about money. I'll never forget one day, I'm, this many years ago, I'm sitting at the table and I'm got all the bills together and I'm paying, I'm writing checks and paying, paying the bills because I didn't want to do automatic bill pay. And um, my daughter, like she my comes, 
Yeah. She comes up and she says, you know, you, what are you doing? You're paying the bills. She's like, I don't know how to balance a checkbook. Now she's like a freshman in high school. And I'm like, what do you mean? They said, what's the difference between a debit card and a credit card? She said, they both have the, you know, the Visa or the MasterCard logo. That's and I'm like, I'm like, all right, now it's a learning lesson. Pull up a chair. Let's have a conversation. Mm-hmm. So now that's when opened the door for me to start having a conversation with my children about finances and the money and how things work. And she says, we're not learning this in high school or middle school and things like that. So, you know, I, I started on a little journey trying to educate children, you know, when I could about finances, about stocks, like our, our young kids love sneakers. I don't see the fascination of spending two, three hundred dollars for a pair of sneakers, but God bless them. Well, there's a pair um, of sneakers I, I heard it, that's twenty five thousand dollars now. They, they they can lace or there's some contraption where you put your foot in and it it closes itself. I think you lose muscle memory by not doing the basics, but first first of all, I'm not buying a pair of twenty five dollars of sneakers to put on my feet and walk outside. That's not going that's not going to happen. Ever, ever, ever. And I would hurt my children. Even my oldest son is thirty. I would hurt him if he paid twenty five thousand dollars for a pair of sneakers. Like, what's wrong yeah, with how you? How many zeros you have in the bank account? Right? And, you know, because I remember I taught. I taught. A, I went to. A, I was invited to a classroom to speak to some children, and they were in high school. And uh, I started a conversation with how many people here own a pair of Nikes? Every hand goes up. How many own more than three pair? Over half the class a hey, five pair. One guy's like, I got twenty pair. I'm like, okay. I'm like, how many people have been to McDonald's? Every hand goes up. Mm-hmm. What about Starbucks? And I'm like, you spent your money. I'm like, when are you guys going to be tired of being consumers? And they're looking at me like, what? I'm like, how would you like to own the companies? Now, faces are looking like, oh, I can't own Nike. And I'm like, yes, you can. So I literally write Nike stock price on it. And I have, you know, they got phones this time. I'm like, pull up your phones. Oh, you got your phones. Pull up, pull up Nike stock price. I'm like, you can buy a share of Nike. I think Nike right now is trading for like $130. I'm like, you can buy Starbucks for 100 bucks. You know, at the time it was a little less. Mm-hmm. I said, you can buy McDonald's. And I got them thinking. And it's so funny, you know, you never know what's going to stick with some children. Right. Some of them, they might have forgot about it, let it go. I st- and this was probably 12 years ago I did this. Okay. I still have one, sh- one child that still reaches out to me and connects with me. He's out of college now and he still communicates with me. And he said he started buying stock mm-hmm. and, and finding ways to buy different stocks and things like that. And he said he's got a nice portfolio right now. I'm like, congratulations. I have yeah. you because you're never it, too young. Right. It's about those conversations. And if they're mm-hmm. not or if we just collectively are not involved in conversations and talking about one investment, consumerism, just Investing in yourself. Yep. You know, so it's, it's more than just that stock. It's mm-hmm. how are you becoming educated so that you know how can, you can use your finances in a way that's not just going to nurture yourself, but it can also bring forth a lot of fruit with people around you. Because it's a yeah, community effort, right? Yeah. I love so, it. It's all about so, planting seeds. Exactly. You got you to gotta plant that seed. So it so it's it's interesting. So you were talking to your daughter about the two plastics that had Visa on it and not knowing the difference. Mm. Were there a time where you didn't know the difference? 
You ready? And talk to us about that because <laughs> we all had so those here, moments. So here is a 18 year old kid and someone in their infinite wisdom from a credit card company decides to send Ed a gold um, Visa card with a $5,000 limit, oh. uh, a, a Amex card with a $2,500 limit. Oh, so by the way, I didn't know you had to pay Amex every month at 18 years old. I'm like, I got cards. Well, you were in college I mean, at the time. No. Oh. That's a whole nother story. So we'll get to that in a second. So I'm 18 years old and I'm like, oh man, I'm, yeah, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm bought VCR from VCR. I bought my mom's China set and I'm good. Then the bill rolls around. <laughs> Time to pay up. I was like, okay, I, yeah, I can pay the minimum on this. And then the American Express one comes like doing full. I'm like, yeah, what is this doing full? I'm like, no, that was a valuable lesson that I share with my kids. I'm like, like credit used wisely is an amazing thing. But if you don't know how to use it wisely, it's a crippling thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's that whole, I tell you, it fits in with that whole predatorial lending. I mean, there's a lot of uh, institutional mm -hmm. policies and just those mindsets of the people that's working in various industries that prey on the youth. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah. so you got caught into that. So I know from a university, so by the time you went to university, you, you probably already knew better than to take those little, what did they have those little things that's on these message boards when you go to the student union mm -hmm. to get a credit card? Mm -hmm. I mean, how seductive is that? What, what? It's very extremely what, seductive. Yeah, what college and university student wouldn't want to have more money? Mm -hmm. But don't realize especially when you don't talk about money in your in at home where well, you yeah. get the money to pay that bill because you're in school exactly yep so did that happen and a lot of you? so no it happened then so now so now will and i and i told you you know that will be very transparent my yeah. path to where i am today is like i said i started it's full of grace and mercy sprinkled with some favor from god so my path was, I did not go straight to college after I got out of school. Mm -hmm. I went to work. I went to work and it just, I was an uninspired, unmotivated and non-challenged student. Mm. Was not that I wasn't smart. I, was, I wasn't challenged. I was yeah. bored in school. Yeah. I had the intellect, but I was never challenged by any of my teachers. As I sit here today, I was like, no, you didn't challenge me. So I was bored in school. So I was like, why am I going to go to college and be bored? So I went into the workforce and then I stumbled into the financial industry. Hmm. Um, when I stumbled to into the, I stumbled. Oh, wow. So my first, my first job was at a firm that is now defunct. That is part of Morgan Stanley called Dean Witter. Um, I was in Boston at the time. Yeah, I was in Boston at the time. I was looking for a job and someone said, well, they're hiring over here. So I went over there and they hired me. I'm sitting here, this young, fresh-faced kid, and I look around. I don't see a lot of me, a lot of black people. But I was like, okay. But I started off in the operations area. They trained me and, and all that good stuff, and then moved me to compliance, where I, you know, I started, you know, growing and learning, and and fell in love with the industry. Mm -hmm. I mean, literally fell in love. But I looked at a a young black kid that didn't come from money, that didn't know money, and I look around office and the office probably had a hundred and financial 150 financial advisors at the time yeah. not really any look it was like one in the office and i was like mm, this is probably not a future for me mm -hmm. 
on, in this oh, financial really? sector. Oh, yeah. And I walked away. I walked away from it and literally went into sales. And I sold, I sold some of everything. I sold cars. I sold lawn care. But I missed the industry because it was so intriguing and interesting. And it drew me back. And I started working for a company. I said, I need to figure out a way to get back in. Mm-hmm. And I started working um, literally as a temp for a company called Eat in Advance during tax season. After a couple of months, they came to me. It's like, no, we want to keep you. I was like, you, you need to be here. We're going to keep you. So they kept me. After about a year, they like, it's like, nope, you don't belong in this department. You're too talented. We're going to move you over here. Okay. I work in the uh, operations area. And I'll never forget this gentleman. Italian guy, you know, bald head. His name was Bob Paolini. And Bob pulls me in his office. He's like, Ed, you do not belong on this in this department. And I'm like, what do you mean? He said, (laughs) yeah. And it's like, he's like, you belong on our sales desk. Okay. I was like, well, what do they do? Mm -hmm. And he uh, introduced me to the sales manager and had me sit down there for half a day. And I came back up to him. I said, oh, I could do that. That's easy. And um, he said, all right, I'm going to get you an interview. And I'll never forget sitting down. And I, it's crazy that I remember these names. I sit down with a gentleman who is the VP over all of that sales group. His name was Bill Gillen. And he's sitting there and he's looking. He said, I hear great things about you. And you're great. He said, I just have one reservation about you. Hmm. Now, now, mind you, there's, there's not a lot of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's three black people that work for that company. There was me, a, a lady named Marie that was an um, a admin. And a gentleman named Garfield that was a security guard. So well, I'm like, all right, where are you going with this? People, just out of for context, how, how many people do you? About, about, I want to say this probably it was probably close to five, almost 500 people. Okay. At that, at that okay. time, which is which is funny. Um, Morgan Stanley just bought 1%. Advance. Yeah, less than one percent. And the funny the story is, I always I still speak with them and ask you know from time to time I ask them, have you replaced me? And they still haven't replaced me. But back to Bill. Um, uh, Bill was like, I have read reservation from you. He says, I don't see a college degree. I said, okay. I said, what's that mean? Mm-hmm. He said, I don't see that you graduated from college. I said, so are you trying to base my capabilities on graduating with a degree? He said, well, kind of, sort of. I said, I guarantee if you give me an opportunity, I'd be better than anybody out here. Mm-hmm. And he sat back in his chair and he smiled. And he said, all right, well, we'll we'll see. And they hired me probably about a month later. When I left them, I was probably in the top third of my job on a regular basis. I knew I wasn't going to be able to advance in that company because it was an old boys network. Uh, So you throw an old boys network, no college degree. I knew I just didn't have a shot. So I packed up and moved to Charlotte. But my partner at the time, so the dynamics was I wasn't inside selling. My partner was an outside meeting people face to face. And that's what I wanted to do because they made three times what I made. Mm -hmm. So um, I told him I'm moving. I said, I'm leaving this. I'm I'm getting out of here. I don't have opportunity. And he literally at the time, and this was 98, 99. He's like, no, I want to try to have you work remotely from there. And he told the company, I will pay for everything for Ed to work remotely. And they were like, no, we've never done anything like this. Um, we're not going to have it. So I packed up the family, moved, started working for a company called Evergreen, which was a division mm-hmm. of First Union at the time. I remember. And um, th- that's when my career took off. They looked at me. I'll never forget my um, interview with a gentleman named Chris Eller. I sat there in front of him and he's like, I want to hire you on the spot. And I said, well, 
I can't take the salary that you're offering. I need X, Y, Z said, no one on our desk here makes that much from a base salary. I was like, well, that's what I need. Mm -hmm. He was like, well, let me check. And they made me the highest paid on their desk. Came in there so my well, first well, year. Oh, oh, Go ahead. You said you said quite a few things, and I want to make sure that people Go are ahead. picking up on this. <laughs> I mean, so just that last point alone is mm -hmm. something that I would say a lot of minorities struggle with. But when you talk about one less than one percent back in, mm -hmm. I'm assuming this is the mid to this late nineties. Yes, mid to late 90s. In mm -hmm. the financial services world, yeah, you didn't find that many minorities. Definitely not a lot of African-Americans. And I would say that no. you found very few women. So representation oh. matters. Because that's the reason why there you was left. Because you didn't think that people that- Had an opportunity. Like could I didn't feel like I belonged. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just the imagery alone plays mm -hmm. with your mind. And, and plays with whether or not you think that you have the opportunity and abundance, um, the, the credibility or the confidence to even go after it. And you did, mm -hmm. you shifted, yeah. but it brought you, but your purpose brought you back. You, you touched on expanding your <laughs> network, um, advocates that said, hey, we're going to pay for him, right? How many people don't get that? So you talk about, you know, just exactly. being on the, uh, on the faith journey and favor. What did they say um, in, in church? Favor ain't fair. That's what they would say. Th that's, that's what, what, that's what they say, but I say it's fair. <laughs> <laughs> you say it's fair and it's well-deserved, right? Bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, okay, it, I just wanted to fun. bring people up on just those, those, those nuggets. Mm. Representation does matter. And if you don't have access, then how do you know what door to open or close? Yeah. And what doors yeah. to walk through leading to knowing your value. I mean, you sight unseen. This is what I need to be paid. T talk mm -hmm. to people about that. How, where did you get the confidence with that? Well, so I, so, you know, I knew that I knew my worth and I knew that I, I was confident in myself and I bet on myself. And I, you know, I told him, I said, I got another interview, you know, tomorrow with one of your competitors down the road. Oh, so you were that like, transparent. Oh yeah. 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 You, yeah. Like, you were, you if were you, if you want me, <laughs> but see, but also, cause I had a tour yeah. of the place. Yeah. There was no one black or minority there. So yeah, the fact that you had the wherewithal to even to calculate yeah. that, right. Most people don't not at yeah. that time. A lot no, more oh, now. No, no. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I was betting on myself that they were going to come, come back and say yes. And, and they did. And it, it was, it was fun. Um, started there, did an, another amazing job. Um, still in the top three, like my first year I finished number one in every statistical category. And they sent me on an all expense paid trip to Atlantis. So I was in heaven mm -hmm. uh, for, with that. But I come back for our sales meeting. We have our national sales meeting in January. Everybody from all over the country comes into town. It's easy, 500 people in the room. And my boss at the time, his name is Chris Eller. Uh, I still still love the gentleman. Uh, he comes up to me, he says, are you okay? Mm. And I, as soon as he said, oh, are you okay? I knew exactly what he was talking about. He says, do you feel comfortable? Mm -hmm. So he was asking me, do I feel comfortable in this room where there's no minorities? I'm the lone minority. Mm. 
Did you know that's what he, he was said, asking you? Oh, I, I immediately knew. I've been in those spaces enough to know. But this gentleman, what came out of his mouth next kind of blew me away. And I still remember, like, still remember where we were standing today. He says, I need you to help me change this. Mm. He knew it wasn't right right then. He said, I need you to help me change this. And we plotted on a course after that to bring more minorities um, mm. into our sales desk and things like that. And happy to say when I finally left that area, I mean, probably about four or five of us. That was great to see. Wow. Ed, I, I can't say enough. Again, when you don't have the right advocates in the space to make sure that yep. you have diversity, not just from a culture and ethnic standpoint, but mindset experiences, it's going to be very difficult for you to even grow a business or change a community or mm -hmm. change yourself. So yep. I, I love that. What was the most challenging thing that you've learned about money, your mindset, and your behavior? along the journey that you had to relearn in order for you to move through and get to where you are now. Yeah. I know that's- I, I will say that, yeah, so that, and I, and I, like I said, I'd be very transparent with you. Um, the most challenging thing for me that I learned was as quickly as it can come is as quickly as it can go. <laughs> that's a um, I, went through, I went through a period where um, I left the position because it just wasn't a good fit for me and me based on my experience in the industry and you know everything I've done I knew I would find another position like that well that didn't happen and I blew through my savings I blew through everything where I lost literally lost everything and had to start all over mm. but what that taught me is money's not everything so yeah, I had the I had the big house, I had the cars, my I had my my girls playing travel volleyball, which is like AAU volleyball, and we would travel all over the place. But it comes and it goes. But what I learned was what you use with it to help others. So now I'm on a mission to serve people and help people. I could care less about the materialistic stuff, the cars and the houses and stuff anymore. I'm all right. about serving people. And that's what I use any of my resources to help others. Now, um, I've taken some of my money to help fund some young entrepreneurs mm -hmm. uh, by giving them a little grants and say, here, go start your business. Some older um, individuals as well. I've taken my resources to, you know, there was a single mom that called me and that where her lights were getting cut off. Like, well, here. So I take, use money now as more as a tool as opposed to just storing it up like a, a, a squirrel scoring up acorns. Yes. And you know what? And you, you bring up, and we've talked about this before, this is having a mindset of scarcity or abundance. Mm -hmm. And abundance does not mean that you have all the money in the world. It's how you see money as a flow through. It's a, it's a tool to be able to yep. survive and live based on the things that, you know, you feel purposeful in being able to do, but also as an investment into others. And that's part of that humanity because it does yes. take the community in order for anything to, to grow and flourish and change. I mean, it, your, your story is very compelling you and your wife and your family, the things that you're doing to be able to help others, I'm quite sure people mm -hmm. will want to be able to pour into your organization. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, so the first one, I tell everyone I have a three-legged stool um, of things that I do. The first one is L2P Financial Partners. It's a financial full services financial firm that I started about three years ago that um, I didn't really want to work with the big boys anymore. I wanted to be able to serve who I want to serve. And I don't care if you have $10,000, I want to be able to serve you and help you as best as I can, as opposed to, you know, trying to bring in the big dollar accounts. Well, those are nice, but I still want to be able to serve smaller people. Um, about six years ago, my wife and I started a nonprofit called Shining Light in Darkness. It focuses on sexual assault and domestic violence. But what, while we're a little different, we focus on the underserved market. We focus on men. We focus on people with disabilities, veterans, the LGBTQIA plus community, and most importantly for us, women of color. Uh, so we do that. And then the last one is I help with entrepreneurs, business owners, and really the public in general by pr providing a platform of connectivity and to build genuine relationships. And that's my organization called We Are Connected. Um, absolutely love it. If, if I could sit and do that all day long, I would do that all day long because I love seeing people get connected. I love seeing people build relationships and friendships. Um, and a lot of times they just need a conduit to do it. Yeah. And I feel that our organization is a conduit to do that. And currently right now we're in probably, I think right now about five, uh, about six cities right now and expanding rapidly. Okay. So uh, again, I just want to make sure I'm giving you a plug because I've been a part of it <laughs> um, and I've done the, I think it was the 15 minute, 15 or 20 minute um, show last year. Yeah, uh, and yeah. got connected. Connected conversations. Yeah, connected conversations with some pretty amazing women. Um, actually, one in South Africa, and you know, most people know that I, I live in South Africa as well as in the U.S. So you just never know who those connectors are going to be, and so exactly. you're definitely that for for me, Ed. With us wrapping up the show, there's a couple things that I want to. Um, make sure that you leave people with. When you think about your mental money moments and your experiences and what you've learned along the way, what are your top three things, regardless of if you're eight to 80, that people need to keep in mind as they're going through their journey? Yeah. One is don't fall in love with money. You know, uh, you know the, the Bible says, and like I said, I'm unapologetic about the fact, my faith, um, the love of money is the root of all evil. Don't fall in money because as quick as it comes, it can go. Um, Self-educate yourself. Mm -hmm. Pick up a book. There are some amazing books. When I first started in the industry, the reason why advisors got paid so much because they're the only ones that had access to the information. Well, now you can sit and Google everything. So self-education is paramount. The next thing is search out financial professionals. There's a lot of financial professionals that are doing podcasts that are have Facebook groups that you can learn a lot of information if you don't have a financial professional right right now. Um, there's some amazing financial professionals that I won't even drop all their names right now that I sit and follow and I learn from because they're drop constantly dropping jewels yeah. on me and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa I didn't know that. I'm like, wow. Yeah. And then and be open to have conversations about money with young people. I'm talking about your successes as well as your failures, because people will learn from your failures more than they will learn from your success. Absolutely. I think those are amazing uh, and definitely the last one, because especially in our uh, Instagram, Twitter environment, everything is yeah. a snapshot. 
it's a beautiful moment. Here are all of the wonderful things that I have. Mm -hmm. But that journey to get there or what your life is outside of that optic, mm -hmm. it can be very different. It's very different. Exactly. So, Ed, I want to thank you for being a part of the show. This thank is, um, look, this is going to be one of many. And uh, just for folks to know, I, <laughs> I met Ed at, a, um, at an event in downtown Raleigh, and we just instantly connected, no pun intended, with your company. It just flows and good, doesn't it? I know, it does. It does. And Ed has been a part of just my not-for-profit organization and making sure that he can pour his knowledge uh, as well as, you know, just provide those nuggets, those insights. And yeah. without conversation that is truthful, transparent, and honest, it is going to be very difficult for you to live in abundance. Ed, I want to thank yeah. you for joining the show. And thank, thank you, you all for, for tuning me. in to Mental Money Moments. I look forward to seeing you Thank in the you. next episode. Thank you. If you benefited from this week's episode, please spread the wealth by sharing it with your friends and subscribing. 